Once I drifted out in sin, had no hope nor joy within, and my soul was burdened down with pride. Then my Savior came along and he showed me I was wrong. Now I know I'm on the So often I confide He's the keeper of my soul Since I gave him full control And he placed me on the winning side I am on the winning side Yes, I'm on the winning side Out in sin no more will I abide For the cause of truth and right Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side I am on the winning side Yes, I'm on the winning side Out in sin, no more will I abide I've enlisted in the fight For the cause of truth and right Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. Well, amen. I trust you're on the winning side. Amen. Hey, that's good stuff right there. On the winning side. Well, we've been in our Philippians study dealing with why rejoice. I've been talking about that for some time now. And today, as I said, this will be the final in that series, and we'll be moving along elsewhere. But, of course, next week we have the 4th of July weekend. We'll probably address something to do with that. And then, again, move along in the future. We'll see where we're going with some things. But, again, I have been enjoying this series. I... I, um, really am grateful to the Lord that even in the midst of the turmoil, the troubles, the trials that we face in our lives here uh, as believers, we have a reason to rejoice. Amen? We really do. And boy, I'll tell you what, uh, here in the book of Philippians, uh, we note that Paul mentions a number of them. We've talked about the fact that one of those reasons to rejoice is the promise. And he told us right off the bat, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, Paul addresses that right as he introduces the the theme of the book. He lets us know, by the way, God is not, he says, going to forsake you or leave you. Matter of fact, he's just begun a good work and he's going to stick with you through it. He'll always be there and he'll continue to work in your life. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's a blessing. That's a good reason to rejoice, to know that God's not done with me yet. And then he said, he talks about the prize. In chapter 3, 
we noted that he said, basically, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying, you know, he's saying, listen, uh, the past has no power over me. Not just my past, the negative things, but even those things that I once trusted in and depended on to, to bring me favor with God. I'm not looking to my past anymore. Uh, that's done with. That's over with. I don't care if, I, if it was something of my good behavior. I don't care if it was my a wonderful testimony as a Jewish believer. The fact is, is that now everything's about Jesus Christ and being conformed to his image. And ultimately, I'm going to be like Christ. And boy, I'm going to be rewarded even for the life that I live in Jesus Christ. Then he goes to this element of the prospect. One of the great rewards of a believer is that one day we're going to have what? A new body. I don't know about you, but every day of my life, it seems like more and more I'm looking forward to that new body. I don't know. It's just crazy. I was out last Sunday, you know, we was back in the backyard and throwing the football around and everything. And of course, being the athlete I am, I wanted to get involved in that. It was really bad. The ball was kind of a rubbery football, so it wasn't like a real one. You know, I'm really good with the real stuff. But anyway, we was throwing that ball around, you know, and, and I was going there. I went up, and I tried to do a one-handed catch, you know, and I, I hit the ball, hit, and it fell down on the ground somehow, some way, and it had to be a bad throw. And so it, it hit the ground, and when I went to go move, I stepped on the ball, and I went that way and went down, and I jammed this little pinky finger. And I had my good church clothes on and never changed. And so I got this grass stain in my, my left knee. And I, 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 stubbed my, I, hurt, I stove my finger. I, my wife thinks I might have broke it. I don't know. You tell me. Oh, no, I won't do that. But anyway, <laughs> but the fact is, is that I'm telling you, the truth is, is that my body's falling apart. I'm only, anyway, I'm telling you, it's, it's every day of my life, I'm looking forward to a new body, amen? And boy, I tell you, Paul the Apostle says, guess what? You have that to look forward to, a body adapted for both the heavenly and the earthly. Boy, that's a, a, we're looking forward to that, I'm sure. And then not only that, but he says there's another reason to rejoice. We talked about the peace that God alone can give us. Peace that's found in prayer and praise. Peace found in our perspective and our outlook. Peace found in our practice and then we said even peace found in our, our place, that place of contentment in our life. As we apply these truths, as we recognize Christ alone as being the Prince of Peace and we, we see him in our attitude, our outlook, providing for us a peace. Well, we live in a world that seems to be upside down. We live in a life where who knows what trouble will come our way. But boy, we can find peace in Jesus Christ. And that is a reason to rejoice. And then last time we got together in this topic, we talked about the power. Boy, I'll tell you what, we noted God's power in creation, in conversion, and even in change. We recognize how God alone can bring about and do the impossible. And boy, what power avails us? What power is available to us in Christ Jesus? And boy, that's a reason to rejoice. It's such a good reason to rejoice. Today, I want to consider another reason and our final one in this series, why a Christian can rejoice. The provision, God's provision in our life. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Well, I'll tell you what, just go to chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Chapter 4, verse 14, and we'll read through verse 19. 
Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer while we're uh, making our way there. I think most of us are probably getting there about now. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us today. May you speak to our hearts through this passage. May you remind us once again that you are a God of supply, that you meet our needs, that there's nothing that you can't do for us and on our behalf. Again, Lord, if there be those that are without Christ, may they come to you. Those that do know you, may we still come to you, trusting and depending on you to meet our every need. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name, amen. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul, writing in the power of the Holy Ghost, says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now because I desire, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. <clears throat> we had talked about and we had noted already that the Apostle Paul had made a tremendous impact in the lives of the Philippians. I mean, he had arrived there in Philippi and after uh, seeing a, uh, an unknown man crying out for help and they made their way there into Macedonia and ultimately to the city there. They would meet Lydia, of course, who would be at least as far as we can tell, the first recorded convert of the gospel in Asia there. And we noted also that he would there cast out a demon out of a young woman, which would cause an uprising in the city, and ultimately they would be cast into prison. There Paul and Silas begin to sing and praise God at midnight, and God supernaturally delivers them. The chains fall off, the stocks come undone, and the gates are opened, and there leave all the inhabitants of the prison, everyone walking out, free. The jailer, of course, thinks it's over. They're gone, and I have failed to follow through with my responsibility. And as he's beginning to take his very life, Paul says, stop now. Don't do it. We're still all here. The gospel is preached. The jailer and his family come to Jesus Christ. What an amazing beginning to the ministry there in Philippi. And a love and relationship between the Apostle Paul and the people flourished. They would continue to meet the need of the Apostle Paul along the way. But he would be lost, I guess, if you would, in the ministry. They didn't realize that he had gone to Rome. They didn't know that he had been thrown into prison. They weren't aware that his life had so changed. And yet, here they were, seeking his attention, looking for the apostle to return. Yet, they could not find him. They couldn't send him any help. They couldn't do anything but pray. And then they found he was there in Rome. They sent Epaphroditus, their pastor, with a gift. A gift that said, we haven't forgot about you, Paul. We remember how you sacrificed and what you've done for us. We know that you laid down your life to give us the gospel. We certainly appreciate what you've done for us and on our behalf. And the Apostle Paul, he, of course, is overwhelmed with gratitude. 
He's so thankful that he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And in the passage in which we just read, Paul, being overwhelmed by their love and generosity, writes this letter, and he voices his approval, and he reminds them that after leaving Macedonia, only they supported him. Of all the churches, they supported him. Paul then turns to eternal matters, and he points to the judgment seat of Christ, assuring them, assuring them, mind you, that the gift received was not the end game. It wasn't about him getting a gift. It was about them receiving a reward. You know, you never go wrong giving to God. And I do understand there are abuses in the ministry and there may be pastors who want gifts and they try to receive things at the hand of the congregation without any real desire to see the congregation blessed. I'm sure that happens, just like there are bad teachers, there are bad preachers, and there are bad people in the world. But my friend, may I say to you, I believe the majority of preachers want God to bless the people. And let me tell you, as a person sitting in a pew that is so giving and loving with, and generous with your, your finances, your time, and your attention, I promise you, God will bless you for that, and he will reward you. And Paul's reminding the church at Philippi of this reality. The Philippian church probably was not a wealthy church. Some may try to debate that. However, I don't believe in the climate in which they lived of persecution and, and difficulties. I can't believe that as a whole they were a wealthy church. There may have been some wealthy members, but they were not overall a wealthy church. And I believe that Paul the Apostle, after receiving this gift from the hand of the church at Philippi, I believe that he did some mental math. He came to the conclusion that the toll of the mount represented nothing less than sacrificial giving. I got to believe that many of them gave not out of their abundance, but just in what little they had. And that gift went to the Apostle Paul, and there as he makes those mental notes, as he uses that mental calculator in his head, he thinks to himself, this is not a rich people. They have sacrificed on my behalf. I cannot believe how much they love me. And Paul knew something. Paul knew that his God was their God. And Paul knew that no one can outgive God. His God was rich in glory, and he would allow nothing to happen to diminish that glory. And out of his unlimited account, he would supply their need. And so the apostle says to them, right there in Philippians 4:19, "But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus." You may have sacrificed and you've given your last dime. You don't have two nickels to rub together potentially, but I tell you and I promise you that the very God that has supplied my every need will supply your need too, he says. And the Philippians, they had a double guarantee. They had the guarantee of God's character and the guarantee of God's son. They had the promise that their need would be met. The late Dr. Harry Ironside, he pastored Moody Church in Chicago from 1929 to 1948. He tells a story about Moody's Bible. 
He said, Moody's Bible was in my possession all of one never-to-be-forgotten night over a half century ago. Can you imagine that? Think with me for a moment. Fifty years after the fact, he is remembering the night that he had in his possession Moody's Bible. D.L. Moody shook two continents for God. This great man of God, Dr. Harry Ironside, remembers having his Bible in his possession 50 years earlier. He goes on to say, I found this notation on the margin opposite Philippians 4.19. There in the side of his Bible, he found this note from Moody. Moody had written in the Christian's banknote. President of the bank, my God, promised to pay, shall supply. The amount, all you need. The capital of the bank, according to his riches in glory. The cashier's name, Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. He goes on, this amount, Moody noted, was left blank in order that each one might write in the measure of his need. Fortunately, Heaven's Bank is always available. The cashier is always present. The capital of the bank has never been impaired. Moody lived over 150 years ago. Harry Ironside, 100 years ago. You and I today, and may I say that we still have the same cashier. We still have the same bank of heaven. We still have the same ability to reach heaven and get our prayers and our answers met, or our needs met. When you look back in your life, i got to believe that you can see God's hand of provision. And no matter how dark, no matter how dismal the days in which we live are, I promise you, I can tell you by the authority of the Word of God that the God of heaven is listening and cares and He can and will meet our needs. So this morning I want to share just a few of the needs that the Lord meets which gives you and I such great reason to rejoice. First of all, salvation. I don't know how we can possibly go through life without remembering the day we got saved, without recognizing and realizing what price was paid for our sin. To think that Jesus Christ left heaven, left glory, and came to this earth and walked the dusty trails of Galilee to think that he shed his own precious, perfect blood on a cross that I deserve. That not only did he die, but he rose again the third day. He did that all for me. And he did it all for you. Well, that's reason to rejoice, that he met our need. He supplied our salvation May I say and remind you and I once again that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. May I say you didn't work any, any more than I did to get your salvation, and the truth is I didn't work at all. So you know what? We recognize biblically and scripturally that salvation is of the Lord. This idea that you can do something to merit God's favor is unscriptural. The fact is, is that salvation is of the Lord. It's all Christ. It's all Him. Wherefore, He is able to also to save them to the uttermost, to come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
In 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10, the Bible says, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Every last one of us were idol worshipers. Every last one of us had our eyes on the world and fixated on the things of the flesh. But yet the Lord Jesus Christ in his love, mercy, and grace came to us, shed his blood, gave his life, and rose again that we might be saved. He supplied that salvation. He met that need that only he could meet. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I just want to encourage you to ensure that through the word of God that you read this book and you study this book and you make special note of individual words in the Bible. Words like blood. I tell you, there is going to be a movement to remove the blood. And we are going to see greater movements to destroy and to wreck and ruin the word of God which we have. To destroy the purity of the Bible. We are in a word war in our culture right now. And I promise you, it will ultimately manifest itself in this book. You make good note of what the Bible says. You hold every word near and dear to your heart, and don't you let it go for nothing. Jesus Christ provided for us, and he met our need, and he saved our souls. I'm glad that you and I, if you know Christ, will never be tormented in that eternal flame. We'll never have to deal with that. Salvation. Number two, safety. What's another area that we can rejoice that God has provided in our safety? Turn to Proverbs 21.31. Proverbs 21.31. Well, what a powerful book the book of Proverbs is. You know, uh, I would encourage all young people for sure to read it every day, at least one chapter a day. It'll coincide with the actual day of the week and just read the chapter that coincides with that. It would be a good idea for all young men and young ladies to do it, not just the teenagers. And it doesn't hurt us to look at it from time to time if we're a little bit older in years because this is the wisdom book. And how, much, how important is wisdom in our lives today? Wow, we desperately need it. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Boy, preparation is necessary, but when it all comes down to it, safety is of the Lord. When it's all said and done, it's going to be the Lord who provides us with the safety that we need. There's a story that's told of, the, of a monastery in Portugal. This particular monastery is perched very high on a 3,000-foot cliff. It's accessible only by this, well, very scary and terrifying ride in a swaying basket. I mean, the basket's loaded when it's loaded, it, all that's there between you and 3,000 feet descent is a rope holding you in the air. And on the other side of this, this, this cliff, if you will, is, are, are these strong men on the other side. And there they pull the, 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 that, that hanging basket across that rope over to the other side. There was an American who had gone over there to visit this particular monastery, and as he got about halfway up the mountain, he could see that rope stretched across, and he could see uh, th that particular basket hanging on that rope. As he got closer, he got nervous, and he started getting a little bit of afraid, 
and, and, and uh, he sold those big strong men and he sold that basket and he sold that rope. But as he noticed a little bit closer as he drawled nigh, he saw that that rope was frayed. There were little areas there where he thought, that doesn't look very safe. <laughs> I don't know that I want to get in that. And so in order to kind of calm his nerves, he thought, I'm just going to ask this question. He said, how often do you change the rope? The monk in charge looked at him and said, well, whenever it breaks. I don't know about you, but that wouldn't bring me any comfort, and I'm sure it brought him no comfort at all. 3,000 feet to your demise if the rope breaks. We change it when the rope breaks. Can I tell you today, you don't have to worry about the rope breaking you don't have to worry about whether the men are strong enough to pull the basket across. You don't have to worry about whether the basket's going to give or, or the floor underneath will give way to the bottom of the ravine. Let me tell you something. Our God is strong enough to pull us across. Our God is strong enough to carry our weight. Our God will supply our need. And he'll provide us with the safety we need. John Patton was a missionary in the New Hebrid Islands. And one night some natives surrounded the mission station. There he and his wife had planned to take dinner and just to have a relaxing evening, but not that evening because these particular natives wanted to burn the Pattons out. They wanted to kill them. Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would just deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that the attackers had all gone. They'd all left. A year later or so, the chief of the tribe trusted and received Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Remembering what had happened, Patton talked to that chief and he asked him, he said, what kept you from burning down the house and killing us that night? The chief replied in surprise. He said, well, who were all those men that were there with you? Patton knew there were no men present, but the chief said, that he was afraid to attack because he's seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. And someone says, well, that, I, I'm sure that he, he, he I, I'm sure that that, that that particular chief was just out of his mind and, 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 and for some reason they saw an illusion or, or some kind of crazy thing. No, I think they saw exactly what he described. You say, well, why would you believe that? Well, because the Bible talks about it. Turn, if you would, over to 2 Kings chapter 6. We see an example of this in the Word of God. We are in a spiritual warfare today. You know, it's so funny to me. You know, we sit in a service like this and we feel safe and secure and and uh, uh, we, you know, especially young people, uh, you know, got their life ahead of them. They got are all strong and boy, they're healthy. And why do I need God? And if, listen, if every young person here and every adult could see the warfare that's taking place around us at this very moment, you'd be scared out of your mind. To realize and recognize that, yes, indeed, there is a God, but there are also demonic forces at work, and they are fighting the cause of Christ in this very room right now, trying to distract you, deceive you, and keep you from hearing the truth. The king of Syria was at war with Israel, and he had prepared his attack plan. Elisha, the prophet, warned the king of Israel and in warning the king, he protected and kept the people of Israel safe. The king of Syria assumed that there had to be a spy among them. 
Somebody was telling the enemy their plans. But someone stepped up and said, no, it's not a spy within, it's Elijah. Elijah's the culprit. It's that prophet, that so-called man of God. It's as though he listens to our conversations. It's as if he knows our next move. He sends his army to capture Elisha. But that's not exactly what happened. And so we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host. They came by night and compassed the city about. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Let me give you the interpretation. What shall we do? <laughs> you say, what? Yeah, I just wanted to bring out that King James is extremely difficult to understand, so I thought I would make that clear. <laughs> now listen, I, I, I think it's important. This servant of Elisha, he wakes up only to see the hills filled with the enemy. He is scared out of his mind. He knows we're done. Our goose is cooked. It's over with the shouting. Elisha, we're done. And Elisha, notice his response. The answered, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, oh, you got to believe now that his servant is thinking, the old man is off his rocker. He has lost his mind. They that be for us are more than they that be with them. Hey, it's me and you, big boy. There ain't nobody else here to fight him. Watch this next phrase. It's so important. And Elijah prayed, verse 17, and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Can I just remind you that you never really see what is until the Lord opens your eyes? You know the temptation in our world today and in our lives is to look at what is. To see it all around us. To take it in with physical eyes. To assess and evaluate the situation. We see what we see and we come to conclusions based on what we see. But the only way we really see what is real, what is true, what is actually transpiring and taking place, to see it the way it really is, the Lord has to open your eyes and mine. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. <laughs> Sound familiar? Can I remind you of John Patton for a moment? And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people, I pray thee with blindness. He smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha would lead them men back to 
enemy forces, his team, if you will, where eventually they would be released. Let me tell you that God can provide safety. And God does provide safety. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you know why we fail to fight the fight sometimes? It's because we fail to realize we're in one. We forget that there is a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle taking place all around us. How many times has God delivered you and I from possible tragedy? How many times has he protected us or kept us in any given situation from even it being worse than it was? I think all of us can point to times in our lives where we know the hand of God had to be working and moving. His safety. Well, that's a good reason to rejoice. The provision of God, his salvation, his safety but also his supply in our life, his supply. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, there in our text we read, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What a promise. When Andrew Cheadle lost his cell phone at the beach, he thought it was gone forever. About a week later or so, a, a fisherman by the name of Glenn Curley called him. He had pulled Cheadle's phone, still functioning after it dried, out of a 25-pound cod. Can you imagine that? He had lost his phone, and for sure you're thinking, man, at the beach it's gone. There's no way I'll ever see that phone. Some fisherman's out there. Boom, got me a big one, Daddy. Nah, it probably was in a net. But anyway, he pulls the cod out. Ah, there's a phone in here. Let's see if we can make it work. No reason to throw it away without trying. Dried it out, and sure enough, hello. Can you imagine that? You say, that's ridiculous. That never happened. That's got to be a fake story. Well, I suppose it could be, but why should it surprise you and I today as believers? I mean, Peter's asked by those who collected tribute money or tax money whether or not his master would pay taxes. When he approaches Jesus Christ about it, the Lord tells him, I tell you what you do, Matthew 17, 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money and take and give unto them for me and thee. He says, Peter, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go down there to that lake. You know the one you used to fish in all the time. And I want you to cast a hook in there. Just throw it on in there. First, first one you hook. Open its mouth. Take the money you find and go pay. You say, that's ridiculous. Well, yeah, the Bible's true or it's not. Now, I don't know about you, but honestly, I'm just going to tell you the truth right now. I, I, I am not a fisherman. Now, I'm good at everything I put my hand to. You believe that, right? <laughs> Maybe not. But let me tell you something. If I knew 
that I could cast a hook, pull a fish up, and get money, I would be fishing every day. Man, the other day, we were at the, the youth uh, conference, and, and, and youth conference was taking place. It was a live stream type service setup, but nonetheless, the teenagers were all over at the house, and, and one of the, the teens come running back. They, they'd been over there fishing in a pond over there, over Brother Josh's place, and, and, and I come running over, and he had his hand in the mouth of a big old, I think it's a big mouth bass. I mean, this thing had to be three pounds. It was about that long. It was about like that thick. And the mouth was about that big around. I mean, it was huge. He's holding that thing. I even took a couple pictures. I wonder how much money that thing could hold. But the fact is, is that, is that I would be fishing every day if I knew money came out of the mouth of a fish every time. But it doesn't. But let, the point being is, is this, is that God is able to do the impossible and he's able to supply our need. Not only do we see that our salvation, our safety, our supply, our good reasons to rejoice, but also our sanity. You say, what? Well, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. I mean, I, I'm just so thankful to the Lord that, that he provides for us. He provides that salvation that only he can. He provides us safety as only he can. He provides us supply as only he can. But he provides us the sanity in the midst of chaos and confusion like no other. That word sound mind, if you look it up in a Webster's 1828, defines it as being that word sound as being entire, unbroken, not shaky, split, or defective. It's like sound timber. And we're of sound mind, unbroken mind, not shaky in mind. Jesus had crossed into the Gadarenes and he was greeted by what we refer to as a maniac. He would cast out the demons in his life. He would remove the torment that prevailed and he'd provide him with peace like no other could. And the Bible tells us, in chapter 8, verse 35 of the book of Luke, that when they went to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The Bible says that those that went out to see Jesus about this event, remember he cast the demons into that herd of swine. They came from the city and they saw this man who was a maniac. They saw this man who, who just recently was heard running through the caverns and caves, screaming at the top of his lungs, naked, a wild, out-of-control person. And here he was now, no longer cutting himself, no longer hurting and harming the body God had given him, no longer out of control, no longer unable to function and, and deal with people. No, now they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. See, don't think for a minute that we, we don't need Jesus to keep us sane. <laughs> Man, in the world in which we live, the problems that we face, the circumstances we find ourselves, we need a calming effect. We need someone bigger than ourselves to bring us peace, comfort, strength, and even sanity.
we have so many reasons to rejoice as believers. One of them is the provision of God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It was during the panic of 1894, a terrible blizzard had swept east. The thermometer registered way below zero. In a little old house on the bank of the, I did it again, Susquehanna River. I worked on that, by the way. I, if you get under a dictionary online, put the word in, and there'll be something, you, you can hit a little speaker, and it'll actually say it for you. I listened to it over and over again, and I still messed it up. This morning and even now. Sus- yes. Susquehanna River. Close enough. Anyway, this Susquehanna River flows from upstate New York down to the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And there they lived in that little old house on the bank of that river. Two years before this event, the father had left them. And her husband had departed, leaving her and the children alone. It was evening, it was after supper, supper which consisted only of leftover crusts and heels of bread spread with lard. There was a little black coffee to drink. The mother, the children went into the front room just to try to, I guess, amuse themselves, to forget about their troubles, to get away from their problems for a moment. The children were playing on the floor when mom turned to the older boy who was just seven years of age and she said, Boys, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do now. I mean, we've eaten the last bit of food in the house and all my money's gone and you don't have even any shoes to go outside. She burst into tears and she said, honestly, I, I don't know what to do. Dad hasn't brought any money around. I don't even have clothes to go out. The snow's now about two feet deep and it just keeps piling on. The older boy looked at his mama and he said, haven't we got anything to eat at all now, mama? No, no, the bread box is empty. We have nothing else in the house, son. And looking out through, looking through that window, she said, you know, it's just an awful night out there tonight. No one's going to come and give us any help tonight. There's just no way. Well, mama, let's say our prayers. Maybe God will send someone around. You know, like the stories you read us, said the older boy. Well, boys, we'll have to pray tonight. Maybe God will hear us, said Mom. She read a passage from the scriptures, and they all knelt together down on the floor, and they began to pray. That mother told God how they were all alone, how everything had been eaten up, how they needed some help, that they didn't know what was going to happen or what to do. And she asked God to send a good Samaritan around to help them. After they rose from prayer, the boy said, Mama, do you think someone will come tonight now? I don't know, son. Maybe God will send somebody around. We're not going to be going to bed right away, so we'll see. She went over to the organ. She began to play a hymn, and her two sons began to do the best they could to sing, and there they just had a little time there. They'd been at that organ not too awfully long when there came a knock at the door. Of course, the singing stopped and all of them ran over to the door to see who it was. And 
Let me tell you, their prayer was heard. There stood their answer, knocking at the door. Good evening, ma'am, said Mr. Evans. He stepped on into the room with a basket full of groceries, bread, sugar, rice, potatoes, coffee, butter, other things that were needed. The family asked him to stay for just a while, but he said, no, I'm sorry, I can't stay. I, I need to get going. I got to go back down to the store. There's another basket waiting. There he made his way through that tall snow back down to that local store and he brought that next basket full of things that were necessary and needful. Everybody in the home was happy now. <laughs> Whatever made you think of us, Mr. Evans, asked mom. Well, I don't really know. I was just sitting in our living room beside the fire reading an, an, uh, the evening paper and all at once I just thought about you. And, and, and I just got thinking, could they be in need of some coal, maybe some food? I tried to read, but I just couldn't get interested. I couldn't stay focused. And I looked out and I saw it snowing. And, and I thought, well, perhaps they might even be snowed in and have nothing to eat. So I put on my coat and my hat. I told my wife what had happened and that I couldn't get you off my mind and that I felt it was important that I go to the store and gather some things to ensure that you weren't starving up here. By the way, do you have any coal to keep you warm, ma'am? Asked Mr. Evans. No, Mr. Evans, we, we haven't had any coal for quite a while. We've been burning driftwood, and the last of it's in the stove right now as we speak. Matter of fact, I was wondering what we were going to do about fuel. The river's frozen over, and the snow's covering all the wood that might be along the bank. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send coal around in the morning. You just let him put it in. It's paid for and you're welcome. And if you need anything else, just let me know, said Mr. Evans. That family could hardly, hardly even speak without thanking him over and over and over again. And when he walked out that door, the three of them gathered together, huddled down in a little group, and they began to pray again, thanking God for sending that good Samaritan the mother would ultimately go home to be with the Lord sometime later, of course. The two boys became active Christian men. One even became an evangelist. They never forgot that particular night, that particular experience. They never forgot how God had met their need in the midst of an impossible situation. They know Philippians 4.19 is true. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God has provided us with salvation, safety, supply, and even sanity. God can do the supernatural. And we as believers have a good reason to rejoice today. The provision of God in our lives. I wonder, is there a need in your life today? Is there a situation, a circumstance that it seems overwhelming and even impossible? I promise you that God is big enough. The God of 
the Apostle Paul, the God of the Philippians, the God of this Mrs. Evans, way back in the 1800s, is the same God that we serve today. And he can and will provide. What a reason to rejoice. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Have you received and accepted his offer of provision as far as salvation is concerned? If you've never been saved, you need to get saved today. You need your sin washed away. You need to go to Jesus Christ who came 2,000 years ago and shed his precious, perfect blood on Calvary and hung there on that tree where you and I deserve to hang. Instead, he took our place and he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. And he did all that for you and for me. Have you trusted and received him? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there provision that you need in your life? Is there salvation that you're lacking? Only Jesus can meet the need today. Will you trust him today? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love. We pray that you'd meet our needs. May you bless us in these next moments these opportunities to pray, opportunity to come to an altar, opportunity to simply trust you as our provider. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.